Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. So hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the UX Australia podcast. I am joined here today by Chris Ellis from Future Friendly. Chris, hello. Hey, how are you going? Very well. Thanks for joining us today. Now, you are um, where in the world? Uh, I'm based out of uh, Sydney, so Sydney, Australia. Um, yeah, actually just in my, in my living room at the moment, just working a bit hybrid. Keeping dry today, Chris? Yeah, no, it's been good so far. Um, haven't gotten wet so far. It's been uh, crazy weather at the moment. But yeah, no, that's one of the reasons staying home has been a benefit today. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm fortunate to both live on high ground and um, a few blocks away from water. So I'm, I, I don't need to worry about floods. Unlike many parts of Sydney today, there's some mm. records going to be broken today for the level of flooding in, in different parts of the suburban areas of Sydney, both to the northwest and the southwest. Um, Chris, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, storytelling. You're going to be talking to us about storytelling at Design Research. Yep. Tell me why it's important. Um, I guess to kind of unpack that, probably just to give a bit of context about what I actually do on a day-to-day yeah. -day basis. So um, I'm, I work for a product and innovation studio called Future Friendly. Um, we typically work across various organizations that are addressing issues like climate change, financial well-being, mental health, diversity and inclusion, rising cost of living, you know, all the juicy stuff that um, is really, really important to solve. And I guess my role in that is to really work with the teams and leaders to really drive the culture and the process required to create that impact. And with that is um, really our role is to create the case for change. So um, I think that one thing that, um, you know, really excites me when working with teams is being able to, you know, experiment with great ideas and building things that create that real change in people's lives. And I think over the years, I've seen that, um, some great ideas typically don't go ahead and, you know, it's not because they're not great ideas. It's, um, it's simply because they fall on deaf ears and they're challenged before they've had a chance to get off the ground. Um, you know, even to experiment and learn from. So I think that was kind of the catalyst for putting this talk together um, is, to, you know, we really need advocates for great ideas rather than challenges. Yeah, and, and data won't do the trick. Um, you know, more, more and better data um, to, to back up a, a bad argument and a bad narrative um, yeah. doesn't really get you very far, does it? No, and I think that that's one of the challenges I see with people, how they typically structure, uh, I guess, their argument or a presentation is they think it's a science. They think because I've done one plus one equals 
um, two, and then you're going to come up to the same, um, I guess, uh, outcome as I did with that, but it's simply not the case. Mm. Um, you know, I really want to change or see storytelling kind of evolve from having the audience kind of see and hear those facts and ideas, which typically get challenged to taking the audience to a place where, you know, they understand and they connect with the ideas. Uh, really, mm. that really takes them from, um, where they currently are to becoming advocates of work and really help drive it forward. So what are the key elements of, of a good story when it comes to design or design research? Um, I think that um, there are a couple of key points that we really need to keep in mind. I think that, you know, one of the things that some people overlook is, you know, humans typically have this truth default. So, you know, if you ask mm -hmm. a stranger for directions or ask you what the time is right now, like and you were to tell me my gut reaction as a human is just to just to believe you. Um, you know, if we thought that everyone was trying to deceive us, nothing would get done. But, you know, with be believing new ideas, this isn't the case. You know, we're, we're yeah, built to okay. skeptics. We're built to poke holes in theories, ensure everything has really been uh, considered before we agree. Uh, and this right. is especially the case in large organisations where some of these ideas have been around for like 10 years. So your human instinct is to be sceptical. And I think that we really need to uh, create a story or some way of, um, like, I guess, addressing the way that people typically challenge ideas, which kind of falls into a few buckets, like credibility. Are you the right person to share this idea? Uh, mm. The problem, is this the right problem? Do you understand it enough? Um, the vision. So, you know, wh where are you trying to take us? What's your idea? I don't understand where you're trying to, you know, go with this around believability. So, you know, you have a bunch of facts and figures, but I still don't actually believe in the idea or that's the right path to get there. Um, you know, practicality. So can you actually do what we're proposing? And then I guess most importantly, aspirational. Like, is it aspirational enough for me to actually advocate and care for this idea once I, you know, leave the meeting room and go back to my day job? So I think it's about tackling those points, but also just making sure that we tackle them in the right order. Mm. A lot of what you're talking about sounds almost like striking the right emotional chords more than the right rational chords. Yeah, I think it, it's definitely a balance. Like like you said, like facts and figures are really, really important, but, um, and, you know, the, they're, they're really critical in making an argument, but if they're not relatable, like no one's going to remember them and you're not going to have that that case for change. So if you want your audience to believe you, you need to make your research relatable. And the way that we typically go about, um, you know, making your research relatable is to connect it with human stories. Mm -hmm. So that's why, I guess, through the design process, by putting those ideas in front of, like, your customers or um, citizens or whoever's actually going to be using the thing and getting those real reactions from them and playing that back to mm -hmm. stakeholders um, that's really what makes that case for change. But better yet, invite them to testing. That's one of our kind of Jedi mind tricks we use where, you know, you, you invite them to testing and then it's never a case of, you know, I'm telling you what they said. It's like, you know, you were in the room watching them or observing, um, you know, their reaction to that when you were able to save someone, you know, $500 on their power bill, for example, or, you know, show them a new service that's going to drastically change their, their world. So, I think it's just trying to connect them to the human reaction and the, the human story tied to what you're trying to do. Have you found 
that the um, the methods of telling those stories, so you're talking about connecting to those human stories, have you found that the methods of storytelling are, are shifting? I think that... Um... I think that people are becoming more aware about how important it is and that with more teams becoming more cross-functional, um, you know, there's more lines blurred between whose role it is to it to actually tell that story. It used to be typically, I guess, in agency land, like the creative director or the head of design or something like, you know, their job was to craft the story and to be the big Don Draper salesman to kind of pitch the idea. But now it's really trying to, you know, it's a cross-functional team walking into these boardrooms now, try, like saying why it's so important to do this. And I think that that's, that's definitely the shift I've seen. And I think that's also really powerful to show that how um, if you take away the, the big ta-da moment and you just make it like just these are people just saying how they think that this solution is actually going to change the lives of people, that, um, yeah, that's definitely a big shift I've seen. Mm. Are you are you finding that you're drawing more on um, like the the raw audio or audio snippets, video snippets um, from your research when you're telling those stories, rather than like in in, in the past we might have abstracted that into um, you know like a, a journey map and vignettes and and those sorts of things. Are you are you playing with different formats in that kind of sense? Um, sometimes I think sometimes I have, I, I find what, what is most powerful is just to write down the quote and mm -hmm. how it's actually tied to an insight or an opportunity and be like, this is exactly the someone's reaction when they saw this or when they experienced that and to just read it out and just let it just kind of sit in the room a little bit. But um, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely there's different ways that you can tell the stories. I find that especially now with, um, you know, COVID, it's um, videos travel really, really well, having been able, able to package up, like, this is the vision, this is what we're going for, and this is the human impact it will have. Mm. Yeah, I know in some of the work we've done um, around uh, public transport um, and, the, you know, sort of showing people engaging with public transport in, in good ways and in, in, in less good ways, um, showing video of, of those interactions, showing the frustrations, you know, being able to hear it in somebody's voice um, can be very, very impactful. Um, and then at times, just a quote on a page on its own, you know, delivered almost without commentary. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to the point of inviting your stakeholders to, to testing or to, sh to get them to be as close to that human experience as possible. And if they can't be out in the field viewing that, I think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the best case scenario would be they've been at testing, they've watched that, and then basically that quote is just a, a reference and they'll be like, oh, I remember that. And yeah. And then they said this afterwards and we really need to get that sorted. And they're talking among themselves. And um, that's really where um, the change can happen. One of the things that I've seen in like a, a variety of contexts is that those package stories um, in whatever form can sometimes get um, like become isolated from the project or from the project team. So mm -hmm. what, what I mean by that is that you've got, you know, like a, a nice collection of, of videos or a nice collection of audio or, you know, like a bunch of transcripts sort of thing. 
and they sit in a research repository which becomes in, increasingly separated separated over time yeah. from those people that we want them um, to be in, uh, influencing. Have yeah. you like if, have you looked at ways to help keep those stories current and fresh? I think that all of our like our research, I guess, findings or insights, they're always tied to a problem we were trying to solve. So mm. I think that one way we try to keep that fresh internally is to do uh, what we call story time, where people share the projects they were working on, um, and from that becomes that again that storytelling of um, mm. you know the, the team playing back. These are the insights. These are the human stories that were connected to it. So it's never a case of just a spreadsheet or a repository or on a Google Drive somewhere with like here's a bunch of insights and quotes that are based around this. But it's always tied to uh, like a problem, and you can always kind of you can connect the dots in that way. Yeah. Okay. I think it's like it's it's one of the most critical ones, and I think one of the other um, one of the other challenges that I've seen, um, especially in large organisations, especially over time, um, is that the the ability of that research repository to be connected to build up a richer picture over time mm. um, still still seems to be something that that organisations struggle with. It's one of the things I'm you know sort of hopeful about with some of the, the research ops community and the design ops communities um, and the things that they're tackling is that hopefully we're able to see, you know, that notion of a research repository or an insights repository uh, deliver some of that richness um, over time. Yeah, I think one of the ways we really try to bring that to life is through, um, you know, connecting with the teams on the ground, they're going to take the work forward and make sure that mm. they understand um, you know, what are the problems, what actually resonates with people, and then creating a series of um, basically design principles to help them shape their decision-making moving forward. Um, but helping craft it with them so that they're not just a list, a simple list of do's and don'ts, but they actually understand, you know, why is this important over this one? And then that becomes kind of a Bible, uh, you know, hymn sheet for them to work from uh, moving forward. And, you know, they're, they're not supposed to be set in stone. They're supposed to be evolving yeah. over time. And um, I, think, I think it's uh, great to have like a shared conversation of something. And, you know, by making something tangible, you have something to, to point at to go, well, shouldn't we be doing it this way? And then you can have mm. an actual proper argument around like, is it this or is it that rather than just, you know, ideas just floating around in the ether. Yeah. I certainly, I mean, um, I've uh, come across organisations, um, you know, over the years where they were very much only ever data oriented. Mm. Um, you know, by their own by their own admission, you know, like a bunch of economic rationalists and and really don't care about anything else. Um, yep. And and then see them get caught up in a story from a participant that really resonates with them, um, yeah. you know, and see the entire team go, mm. oh, wow, like we, we, we're going to follow that direction because that's something that we really need to work on. Um, there's, there's just so much, um, so much force that a good story can bring to bear on how people um, you know, even just orient themselves to, around the problem. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, 
you know, data's data's great. Um, I think that what data does great are those hard numbers. It gives you the what, but it never gives you the why. Um, and yeah. I think that the why is why you should be making all the the reason why you should make decisions on something. So, you know, it could be because the button's blue, or it could be because they don't understand the content completely. So, um, I think that by data is a good starting point to be like, hey, this is the you know a metric that has shifted, and we want to understand why. But then it's only when you get those you know, those gut reactions from people observing them and testing to actually understand, okay, that's the actual issue. Um, and I guess to that point as well, to, I guess, stopping people levitating to one specific testing participant or, or insight, I think that's why it's so important to frame the problem because then if you if you control the problem, then you can control the vision and the narrative and, um, you know, you'll always have that one rogue participant who either thinks it's great or not, or takes on a completely different path. And if you take yeah. it from a, you know, a learning mindset rather than a validation mindset, it um, makes it a lot easier to be like, yeah, that's absolutely great. Let's test that next sprint or let's roll that into another phase of work and having a yes and mentality rather than to, um, you know, again, moving away from that Don Draper mad menacing is like, no, no, this is our idea and we're selling it to you rather than like, let's solve this together and let's yeah. have an actual conversation about it. Yeah. I mean, the the power of those sort of firsthand experiences with customers, with people, um, you know, seeing how they respond, um, you know, the, the reality of the situation as it's occurring rather than hearing about it afterwards or hearing, you know, that sort of sanitised, safer version that we we tell ourselves later. Um, there's a, a one of my favourite stories. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether you're familiar with the, um, the GE Health um, MRI machines and CT scanners that they designed for children. Yeah, um, no, yeah, I'm across that one. Yeah, that's a great, that's it's a great a, one. It's a, it's a wonderful story. So the um, for people listening, the, the, the industrial designer responsible for GE's, you know, like MRI machine, uh, was a guy by the name of Doug Dietz. Um, he was visiting a hospital um, to see one of his, you know, like one of his, it's how he thought of them, his machines in operation. Um and, you know, a, a parent's bringing their child down the corridor while he's talking to the, um, the radiologist and or the, the technician um, and the child's distraught. They're scared. They're unhappy. The parent's sort of trying to um, cajole them, um, trying to keep them calm, trying to stop the tears. The um, technician picks up the phone and, and basically sort of calls the um, the nurse's station and says, look, can you um, can you bring down some sedative? We're going to need to put this child under. Um, and and Doug was, you know, like appalled at this because his, you know, like shiny bright MRI machine was his pride and joy. And he's witnessing the way it's experienced with, you know, like complete trauma and, and fear kind of thing. And, and he asked the question, how often um, does this happen? And the technician's like, oh, yeah, all the time, kids hate them. You know, like they're big, they're noisy, they're scary, they, they look awful, you know. Um, and that was the seed of this idea of these sort of experience, um, uh, like an adventure series of rooms, really, where the MRI machine or the CAT scan machine formed part of the story. Um, you know, and there's pirate adventures and spaceship adventures and this kind of stuff where mm. you find yourself lying still 
inside the MRI machine while something happens around you. But the whole thing is is part of it. But like that that idea of, you know, for him, it was that that moment of connection with that child in that moment and mm. seeing in all its force firsthand what that experience is like for that person. He'd, he'd probably heard reports and he'd probably received data about how many kids need to be sedated beforehand and all of that kind of stuff. But the data really didn't bring home the impact for him um, of, of what he was seeing. I love it. I love it. I think it's great, a great yeah, example. Yeah, no, there's, um, there's, there's a talk by um, Jared Spool and he goes through that one and um, that's something I always send to people when they're... Um, feeling a little bit uninspired with design at the time and just say, this is how simple it can be. Like, this is how, this is, that's, they're the kind of stories that kind of get me up in the morning and make me want to do what I do. That's a good one. And that kind of um, impact and that kind of change, whether it's with kids in healthcare or with, you know, um, adults in, in other parts of their lives, I agree. It's exactly the, the kind of stuff that gets us motivated and, and gets us going. Yeah. Very good. Well, look, Chris, it's been uh, great talking with you. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Design Research in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for speaking with me. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. See you soon. Mm-hmm.